You've hit play on the Screen Companion, a show about making your viewing time count. The Expanse, possibly the greatest science fiction show to ever grace the screen. Stacy, you just saw the first two episodes with me. I have watched through the fourth season, and I still enjoy it, but I need a little break because it can get pretty depressing at times. Started on sci-fi and then canceled after I think the third season got picked up by Amazon, and it's on Amazon Prime. I hyped the series to you. Would you say I was correct in my hype? Hmm. i say you were definitely correct in the hype. It wasn't too much, it wasn't too little. It was like that perfect medium to where someone overhypes it and you get your expectations way too high. Then when you see it, you're let down dramatically. But that didn't happen this time. So far, we've only done two episodes that you've seen. It does a great job of setting up the universe of this series. Namely, that even in the future, space travel is very difficult. Every little thing, if something goes wrong, could mean death. You compare this to something like Star Trek, or Battlestar Galactica even, which is supposed to be more gritty, but compared to The Expanse, it's nothing. What about its portrayal of space, space travel, people living in space, stuck out to you? I say the design of the spaceships and the fact that, like, they couldn't turn on a dime. They weren't going to warp speed. They had to prep, plan. Okay, we've got to execute like this. Everybody's got to do this. Go over here. We can do it. The best maneuver, the turn and burn. Even if they achieve a great speed, which it isn't light speed, but even if they do their version of a nitro boost, they still have to flip the ship around so that they can stop themselves once they get to where they're going. It has to be gradual, not just on a dime. The Expanse is kind of like the sci-fi version of Game of Thrones. You have these different factions that are jockeying for power during this Cold War phase of the future where you have Earth versus Mars versus the Belters the people that have been living in space and toiling for the planets. They can't handle normal gravity anymore. They've mutated a bit in space. They're used to low gravity. They've developed their own language. They speak in this pigeon talk. So you have all these factions jockeying for power. It's not a bright future, is it? Oh, no. I, everybody except Earth. Is in trouble. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. From what I've seen so far. I haven't seen Mars. I haven't seen how they're doing. I haven't seen the planet. You know, if it's beautiful, it's nice. I've seen Earth. Beautiful. Best thing out there. The belt. We need water. We're starving. We're mutated. On that series station that's primarily belters, we do see some form of low gravity. Luckily, they don't do that across the board because that really brings it into a certain uh, level of realism doesn't it that when they want to walk around they got to magnetize their boots and some of the boots are automatic which which is nice but... well it's fun to watch them do that wizard of oz thing of clicking their heels together to activate them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this show right it flew under a lot of people's radar 
I had heard of it when it came out on sci-fi. I want to say like 2015, 2016. What kind of reputation does sci-fi have? Ever since they changed their name to S-Y-F-Y. Yeah. That's when I stopped giving it any consideration. Because they wanted to rebrand themselves away from being the sci-fi channel. And they wanted to include more fantasy stuff. And that's when they started to do all that ghost hunting crap on the network. Oh, that's because that's when oh, Ghost Hunters got big. That's when it blew up for a little bit there. Actually, when it was like, what, 2000? Like, 07? Like, 010 somewhere? I think they rebranded it about the time we started college. So it's too bad that this gem of a show started on a terrible network that was never going to get the eyeballs on it that it deserved. Luckily, after the third season when it got canceled, it had enough of a fan base that Amazon picked it up. I had heard about the show from a coworker. He said this is as close to real sci-fi as we have right now. I can't think of anything off the top of my head where they really try to depict space the way it is, as opposed to just all these technological advances that really make it a safe environment. Go down the list, you know, everything Star Trek is, this show isn't. <laughs> I mean, give me some examples, Stacey. How is it not like Star Trek? Star Trek, generally, everybody lives. Unless you're like the side character, the red coat, you're gonna live. This show, episode one, nobody's safe. A little in, people start dying very quick. Ships get blown up. People just straight up get killed. Both these first two episodes, neither of them have a happy ending. Yeah. This show really does not hold your hand. It just drops you right in. I know when I first started watching it, it was a bit dense. I was following maybe 60% of what was going on. And I was worried, if it keeps doing this, it'll get to a point where I'm like at 20% awareness. <laughs> it'll get like, well, I don't understand anything that's going on because they won't explain it. And maybe I'll lose interest. But luckily, it doesn't do that. It does repeat things enough, slang and ideology and politics. It'll keep bringing it back so that if you missed it the first time, you'll catch it again and start to understand what's happening in the world. So far, between these three factions, Earth, Mars, and the Belters, who do you like more or who's more interesting to you? Just because it's got like the mystery element, everyone wants that little mystery. I go with Mars. Because I haven't seen them yet. I don't know what they look like. Because right now we have the two extremes. Like the frail, weak people versus Earth. Just nice, strong, healthy. What's the middle class like? Are they also weak? What do they have? The Martians, because they're trying to terraform a whole planet, oxygen is still tough to come by. They live in domes. And they're very structured and regimented because they can't afford to waste any resources. Unlike Earth, like you say, they look really well off, but later in the series, they get into the fact that, well, it looks good, but if it's a paradise and people's needs are met, that doesn't necessarily mean their economy's great, but maybe there aren't enough jobs. So you got all these people lounging around, unable to do anything. Sure, they're, they're not going to starve, but you know they can't be an engineer or be a pilot because those jobs just aren't available. There's too many of them. Oh, okay. Faithful viewer, if you're going to check the show out, don't worry. They will get into the minutiae 
they bring up so many questions. You're like, well, how does this work? How could that work? Because yeah, now I'm getting more questions. And I'm like, wow. So what's the base training for everybody? Like, I don't care if you're a belter, you go to Earth, you're from Mars. Like, what is the base level education you get? Because everyone's living in space, you know? Is everyone technically an engineer? Like, is that the minimum education you must have? It kind of seems that way. And it would make sense. Uh, not everybody is in space. It would make sense that if you did get as far as getting into space, you would have to have a general knowledge yeah. of a ship's systems as far as the oxygen and the power. There's one character, Naomi Nagata, this belter who's like the tech girl. She's, she's this show, Scotty. <laughs> yes. And it is kind of like, well, belters aren't well off, so who trained her? Yeah, Where like, did she get this from? Yeah, this knowledge. Who's passing it down? And then even just within our main cast of characters, so we have her, we have Amos, the sociopath that follows her around like a puppy. I feel like they're item. I really feel like they're item. They can't not be. Just from these first few episodes, for sure, you could say that. Uh, we have Holden, sort of the de facto leader, but it's kind of tenuous at best, his hold on his little crew the survivors of this attack. Uh, is it an attack though? Is it, was it pre-planned? Like, I don't, there's so many factors right now that just came in episode one and two. It's like, this ship, what's up with it? Like, who did all this? Who's the mastermind? Normally I would go into the premise of it, but it's such a convoluted conspiracy going on that firstly, if I break it down, you'll just see it anyway in the first few episodes. I don't need to lay it all out, except to say that this show is built around a conspiracy. During this Cold War time in the future, the story goes these twisty turns. You can't trust these characters. Somebody might say, oh, Mars did this or Earth did that. It's probably just because they have a grudge against that other faction. So you have to look for context clues and look at evidence on screen. You cannot turn this on and go do something else and listen to it. Or listen to it with your eyes closed. You know, you have to be <laughs> fully engaged. I think maybe that's why it didn't take off as well as it should have. People just aren't used to having to pay attention this much. Can you think of any shows that not only demand that level of attention, but also reward you? No, I honestly can't, no. So I'm trying to say Game of Thrones, but no, Game of Thrones, like, they throw everything at you, but then in next week's episode, they explain it all out. Or they give you everything in, like, 20 minutes, and next 15, they tell you exactly what happened, why it happened, and you're good. You know? <laughs> Everyone's, you're caught up. Instantly. Don't feel bad about playing it with the subtitles on. <laughs> it's actually a good thing, because between all the jargon they use, and the proper names, and the slang, you will miss details. I started turning on the subtitles by the second episode. Let's talk about the production values of this show for a moment. Does this look cheap to you at all? Honestly, no. And isn't it incredible how many different locations we have just in the pilot? We're at the Belcher's home. We end up on the ship, the Canterbury. Then we end up in that little shuttle. We transfer to what this other ship, what the Scorp was, the uh, Scopuli. Scopuli, a couple of times. And they and then, each look a little different. Yeah, then we're also on Earth. 
where we hit the subways, we go like some basement kind of. Oh, and at the beginning of the episode, when we're on Siri Station, the home of the Belters, and we see that little drone flying through and really establishes the whole station. Oh, how huge that thing is? Yeah. I mean, that's a great visual effect shot. It's going up into the vents. It's flying along walkways. And we just see the whole layout and we get a sense of the place even before the show really starts. I mean, it does a great job of setting up these places. But that threw me off, too. That made me think they're in paradise for a second there with the drone going over. Like, oh, this place is beautiful. It's amazing. I love it. I want to be a belter. And then two minutes later, oh, it's the slums. Mm. No, no, I take it back. There's the uh, richer level that has the greenery and looks nice. And then the further down you get, it gets slummy where they're conserving water. Air filters are malfunctioning. You got dirty cops. The whole idea of differences between classes. Which the politics are interesting, but they do get depressing. As good as this show is at subverting Star Trek, ultimately, I'll go back and rewatch Star Trek because it's hopeful. Because the characters, even when they have differences, they'll see they have a common enemy or existential threat, and they'll band together. And you get that nice, warm moment by the end of the episode. This, however, every (laughs) faction is constantly at each other's throats. Maybe you have little groups that can see past their differences, like our little ad hoc crew of survivors. But for the most part, they're always looking out for themselves and their own teams. Too many of the characters are stuck in their ways, and they just keep repeating their mistakes. Characters never learn, they never grow, they're just stuck in that nice little perfect bubble loop. We have our main cast that does a good job of feeling like people you actually want to talk to, but because the show is so good at giving peripheral characters their due and expanding the whole universe of what the show is, you end up a lot of screen time with these characters that are not meant to progress. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, damn. Were there any particular moments in the first few episodes that struck you as particularly unique for what we see in sci-fi? It'd be a simple scene, like the dirty cop is talking to the guy who's in charge. I'm not going to call the slums per se, but more of like some of the apartments down there. And all he has to do is chin up the air filters. This guy never does. But he also pays off the dirty cop. The dirty cop takes him down here to torture him a little bit. Chucks him in the airlock. I'm like, Oh, yeah. He's going to serve some justice. Some well-needed justice. Puts him down there, hits the button to get him ejected, and he just starts him with oxygen. Which is very ironic to me. It's like, I get where you're going, but you went through all this trouble to get him down here, to chuck him down there. Just finish the job. And you can look at that scene a few different ways, where the dirty cop, a.k.a. uh, Joe Miller, played beautifully by Thomas Jane, Either he lets the slumlord live because he just wants him to learn his lesson and stop screwing with the air filters and provide the people of his district with the proper uh, filtration. Or maybe one of the reasons he didn't want to kill him is he was paying him off. That guy was giving him kickbacks for looking the other way. Mm, So it totally ends that relationship if he offs him. 
if he can get the guy to do what he should be doing, probably never at 100%, but to do better and not cause these big problems where we see scores of people coughing and not getting their air. Some dying? So it does improve conditions, and it makes the cops look a little better, possibly. But at the same time, this guy is still going to have to pay him kickbacks, because if he could give them full air filter support, he probably would. But people are always going to be cutting corners. Oh, you got to. You got to. I don't know if the cop has, like, some kind of, like, inner good guy, because you get later on where someone else is stealing water. He's stealing water with his group, and they have tons of it, apparently. And he lets them go in the end. To me, they're starting a theme already. Detective Miller wants this kid to smarten up, so he wants to give him another chance instead of hauling his ass in for stealing water. Because, man, water, that's what, a serious crime, right? That's... Yeah, well, they had a barrel full, and then they spilled it on Miller trying to get away from him. And he still caught the guy, but all he did was waste a whole barrel of water. Precious gold. Air and water are more precious than gold. Did he let him go because he wanted him to have another chance? Or did he let him go because he just didn't want to do the paperwork? (laughs) You put it like that. (laughs) It's possible. It could be paperwork. It could be paperwork. There are only a couple characters in this first set of episodes that I would say clearly display good moral values. You got Holden. You know, his trawler gets a distress signal, and they want to just ignore it. But he ultimately says, no, that's wrong, and he gets them to go investigate it. So I can't see that being for any other reason he felt bad for letting somebody die, you know, who's sending out a distress signal, because he heard somebody's voice. Yeah, they clean it up a little bit, and they good to make sure everybody knows that. He had to clean it up, kind of dig. He put forth some effort, folks. A good amount of effort on that one. Besides him, I don't know if there is any other moral character in the first few episodes. If I want to say Naomi, maybe she's like towing the line. She's kind of the captain like now, like the guy said. She's like, she's keeping the balance. She wasn't happy that Holden wanted to respond to the stress signal. Everything she does in the first few episodes, it's just ultimately in service of keeping herself alive. I guess the one kind of nice thing she does is that she knows Holden's the reason they checked out the distress signal, which without giving away too much, ends up giving them more problems than they bargained for. Now, you could say she didn't rat him out to the others because they don't know ultimately who responded to the signal. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she kept Holden's secret because she knew he would get backlash, maybe get killed. I needed him. You know, the extra body helps out. You need the help. Or, this early in the show, I mean, we have a few glances between them. Maybe she's got a thing for him. And that's why, you know, it was self-serving. That's why she didn't give him up to the others. It's because she wants him to be her little Holden. (laughs) (laughs) Any sort of subplot that resonates with you as far as the political landscape? I don't know her name. I don't know if they said her name enough times to actually like let it sink in. But on Earth, yeah, the older woman, she's going down. She's helping torture this guy, trying to get some information from him. And then like you get later on, like episode two, they're like, you know, you're about to become the owner of the UN. 
She's like third in line to be head of the United Nations. Yeah. She did what the heck she wants. Why is she torturing one man? Well, she has multiple faces. I mean, they show her as a grandmother. She's playing with a grandkid. And then on the flip side of that, she's willing to torture somebody to get information. If I'm going to have somebody uh, be in control like that, one of the top dogs, I suppose I'd want them to do what they thought was necessary because we're dealing with future tech that could have terrible ramifications. Sure, Earth is strong, but it's a huge target, too. In the case of this show, they have the future tech. We mentioned the boots, the magnetic boots. That's a good one. Uh, I like the fact that when they're sharing air between their spacesuits, it is like a little syringe (laughs) on a tube that a guy takes, and then he pokes it into this other guy's air tube. And that's how they connect and do a buddy system to share air. It's a what? challenge. Yeah, why'd they see that sooner? Like, early on, like, you see the guy singing to himself. He's maybe dancing a little bit. The guy was doing nothing. Why did they notice this? Feels like it took them a while to realize something was wrong with his lack of oxygen. Yeah. There's always going to be little things to nitpick, but in that scene, it takes them a second to realize he's not getting air in his suit properly. Shouldn't there be an alarm that instantly goes off? It should have been something. Because, like, you, you look at the backpack. They show the backpack. It's flashing red. It's usually, like, redundancies for the redundancies the, or something else. That's a terrible way to set an alarm if you have to visually look on his backpack and see that it has a red marker on it. Yeah, he, yeah. you should know. You should know. It would take a lot of work where it feels like in Star Trek, everybody just gets it handed to them. It's like, oh, you want to go into space? Fine, just come with us. We'll beam you aboard. But there is none of that in this show. There is no beaming technology. I mean, just to get to faster speeds, you have to inject yourself with something so that you can handle the G-forces at play. I think the first time I saw the show, I was really invested in Holden. And his story early on is just surviving. Him and his little crew... At the end of the second episode, they're rescued, but rescued by people that maybe they don't want to be rescued by. Essentially taken prisoner, perhaps. No doubt about it. You are our prisoner. (laughs) But he's a a rock-solid moral compass character, so I was invested in him. Watching it the second time with you, I think I'm more into Joe Miller. It has more shades of gray to him, and he is a little Mm. slimy. But I picked up more on the little things that are kind of giving him a bit more humanity as he looks around for the missing rich girl. Okay, so so in other words, this case is kind of cleaning him up, kind of. You know, this missing case is just... Yeah, it has an effect on him. He's the only one... Well, him and the third in charge at the UN, the older woman, Avasarala... They're the only ones that are actively looking into a mystery. Whereas Holden and his people, they know they're part of something, but they don't really know what direction to look in. They're just worried about their next hour of air. (laughs) As far as having a thrust, Joe Miller is really on a mission. He's trying to do something. So it's nice to see a character that is a little dirty have a reason for being and to do real police work 
even ultimately knowing how some of these mysteries play out by the fourth season that I've seen up to, I still enjoy watching it again because it is very immersive. It's almost like some of the better video games you might play, where you turn it on, you focus into it, and they give you so many details and the way that people talk and the set designs and everything, the costumes, the stupid haircuts. <laughs> it transports you and it's like, okay, let me just kind of exist in this space. And that on its own is still pretty enjoyable, even if I know some of the answers. I would totally recommend it to people, but you do have to put in the work for this show. There are a few times as we're watching this, you're eating some cookies... <laughs> <laughs> and you're turning your back to get some cookies and there are a couple of things happening on screen that you weren't privy to because you weren't watching it I don't, I don't think I missed much I didn't miss, you didn't miss, miss too much but I was worried for you like oh my god because things can happen in a split second on screen and if you're not paying attention that split second could be super important a couple episodes later <laughs> that one thing that one little detail like the show's going to lead you it's going to give you everything you need just follow along and you'll enjoy it. With the amount of realism in the tech, does it make it boring at times? No. And like I said, that's because I feel like they're really fighting that element of death. Like, nobody wants to die. Like, that human spirit, you don't want to believe in hope, but they've all got some at some point. No matter how bad stuff gets, they all got that hope. And as a human, you want to see it play out for the better. The first two episodes, it really is going to check a distress signal, being stuck on a life raft, and then trying to conserve air and power and send out a distress signal of their own. And it's them doing tech stuff, making repairs. On paper, that sounds very boring. But you make the point that it's all in service of everything is trying to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> all these circumstances are trying to kill them. So just the fact that they're trying to figure out a way to boost the signal of their distress signals so somebody can hear them and pick them up, it makes them using wrenches and pushing buttons more exciting just because you know they know they're doing it to try to save their own lives. And the best thing, like, you know death is there, like they're knocking on death's door, but at the same time... It's not distracting. If I had a little bit of a criticism, not that it's sustained, but there aren't any romance aspects to the first few episodes. We get a little hint of it with Holden and the Navigator. Yeah. I really like Naomi because if I was stuck on a life raft in space with her, not only is she hot, <laughs> but she would save my life. <laughs> so I can totally understand why a character like Amos, who's a sociopath, he's got that dead look in his eye, and a few times he's just ready to kill people on Naomi's word. Maybe that's part of the reason he seems to have hitched his ride with hers. He knows she's the brains of the operation. At best, he's the brawn, but he needs somebody to guide him and take care of the technology side of things. I would hitch to them as well. I'd be right behind him. <laughs> Part of that Mamba line. Okay, let me do my round of TLDL. Too long. Didn't listen. So I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm looking for a yes, no. These are one-word responses. Are the... 
spaceships in this show interesting. Yes. Do you think there are too many characters? No. Do you feel like there's a good amount of representation among the characters ethnically or just type of characters or skill levels do you feel it's pretty varied as the characters yes but as factions right now in the first two episodes only no beyond just the mystery of the first few episodes did it ever stop you a speed bump where you got genuinely confused of just what's happening and you had to catch up to what the characters are doing? No, it's, it's weird. I think of no. I was able to stay away from binging the first season, but by the time the pandemic hit, and I was getting the second and third seasons, I just watched those suckers all the way through into the early morning hours, because I didn't have a job at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have a free day where you don't have to worry about the next morning... There's a little caution, a little warning for listeners. Of course, I want you guys to go check it out. But if you are really into sci-fi, be careful. This could suck you in, and hours will go by, and it's time to go to work, and you're like, oh my god, I haven't gotten to sleep yet. I would seriously advise people, some people that they know they're prone to binging some things, and they also really love sci-fi, be careful. Because, you know, I've been caught in those throes of binging where you can't stop yourself to some extent. You want to know what's going to happen next. you got to finish it. Really plan it out and tell yourself, okay, perhaps if I really like it, I can afford to watch six more episodes. So start earlier in the day on your day off. <laughs> Don't start it at night when you should be going to bed in another hour and you only have time for one episode. Give yourself some time. It's like the perfect setup. It's dark out. You get the space around you vibe, you know? The headphones on, you're going to zone in. That's the problem. Like, you're going to zone in. You're not going to zone out. (laughs) So, Stacey, when you start watching the show, give yourself some leeway. Build in a couple of extra hours as a buffer. Just in case, you're like, oh, well, I'll just watch two tonight. Just a couple episodes. Be careful. The clock turns, and all of a sudden, you've watched six more episodes, and you're late to work. (laughs) I'm late to work to tap it off. (laughs) 